Welcome to the Where Money Meets Soul podcast. I'm Jennifer Griffith. And I'm Natasha Gaines. As two busy women juggling high profile jobs, family, friends, bills, and everything else life throws our way, we know what it's like to feel stressed out and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And from personal experience, we also know what it's like to pull ourselves out of that place by using the right skills and tools to get our lives into alignment. Absolutely, we're here to share those same tools with you so that you can also turn your desires into reality. If you're interested in learning more about money and abundance, how to create a better work-life balance, and how to pursue your passions without sacrificing your dreams, then we invite you to join us each week to gain powerful tools to help you succeed in business and life. When money meets soul, magic will happen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Where Money Meets Soul podcast. If you're like Tasha and I, or most people in this world, you may be dealing with new or ongoing issues caused by the pandemic. We're dealing with a great level of uncertainty still. Anything from wondering how long social distancing will be in effect, or if we'll ever be able to go to concerts or travel again, or whatever other countless other questions or worries you may have. And many of us are finding some new coping skills. Some coping skills are healthy. Some of them perhaps not so healthy, like maybe drinking a little more than normal. Uh, But if you're like us and you're wondering what the hell to do all about it, today we called in an expert to help us deal with some of the emotional effects caused by the pandemic. I'm pleased to introduce you to our special guest, Quentin Hafner. Quentin is a licensed marriage and family therapist who helps people find solutions to life challenges through improved relational and emotional health. Quentin is based in our hometown of Orange County, California, and he works with individuals, couples, and business teams. He helps people move from feeling frustrated, confused, and distracted by challenges to reclaiming peace of mind, feeling more energized, and ultimately discovering sustainable solutions to life's challenges. Quentin combines his expertise in clinical psychology and relationship dynamics with real world and practical applications that result in positive and measurable results. Quentin, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you guys. Yeah, we are as well. Yeah, welcome. One of the things um, we like to ask everyone, and I know I just read a brief bio on you, but can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you got to where you are today, and all the good stuff about Quentin? Sure. So um, I, um, let's see, I was a finance major in college and got out of college and I worked in uh, big four of public accounting. And then I ended up working in real estate, private equity. And I realized that it wasn't really for me and I loved helping people. And so somewhere around the age of 30, I went back to graduate school and I studied uh, psychology. I got my master's degree in clinical psychology and I went on this adventure to become a therapist. And so I've been in private practice for about 15 years now. And, um, I just did a little calculation that I've had. I've done over 15,000 therapy sessions with people. Which is wow. a little bit nuts. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a lot, yeah. Certainly a lot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's what I do for work. And um, I, I do a traditional therapy with people and I do a lot of leadership consulting, helping um, people in the workplace with like people problems. And um, I'm happily married. I have two young sons and uh, we live in Laguna Niguel. Very nice. It's a great part of town. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. And, you know, one of the things I mentioned um, in the bio was how we're dealing with this pandemic, or as Tasha likes to call it, the pandemic. (laughs) It just seems to keep going on and on forever. Uh, But, you know, a lot of us, myself included, are finding different or interesting ways of coping with everything that's happening. And one of those ways is maybe drinking a little more than we're used to. And I'm not saying it's unhealthy. We're not maybe to a point where it's becoming a concern, but it just is, you know, alcohol sales and consumptions are going up. Uh, This is across the board, not just for myself, but for other people. So one of the things I'm really curious about is how can individuals maintain a healthy relationship with alcohol, um, especially during a time like this, and especially as this continues to just drag on and on, and we really don't know if there's an end in sight or if this is going to continue for another one or two years. 
Yeah, and it's a really important topic right now because the truth is everybody really is drinking more. And I think statistically somewhere between um, around February of this year and June of this year, um, alcohol sales are up anywhere between a thousand percent to oh 23 to 2300 okay? percent. Holy smokes. Yeah. So oh, really wow. substantial increase in alcohol sales. And it kind of, it depends on whether it's like wine, beer or liquor in that um, percentage range. Mm -hmm. So everybody's drinking more. And, um, and, and, and people are a little bit concerned about it because maybe, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, it wasn't really a thing, but, you know, people are, um, people are bored at home. There's a lot of emotion happening for people. Alcohol is just a really great coping mechanism. I mean, when mm -hmm. I say great, it works really well. That's why people drink. Right. Um, but then there's a little bit of a slippery uh, slope with it. So when I kind of think about the pandemic and kind of where we've been in the last nine months or so, or I guess it's like six months, um, March to now, um, in the beginning, the pandemic seemed like it was really novel. Like people were almost kind of excited by it. It was like, it was kind of anxiety provoking. It was kind of scary. It was almost like there was this like electric buzz around the pandemic and everyone was like, oh, I don't know what's happening. And I, I know like me and my friends, we, we would do like um, Zoom call, like Zoom happy hour calls. It was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. It was novel and we were kind of playing with it. And and then what happened, and then the pandemic kind of went on, you know, March, April, May, June, and then people shifted from being kind of anxious and kind of electrified by it to like feeling kind of flat and depressed by it. So mm -hmm. I, I've, I've seen this kind of transition of emotions as kind of a general theme, like for the world, I think is like we move from feeling excited about it to feeling depressed about it. And, um, you know, alcohol serves people really well to deal with those emotions. I mean, it's not a great, like I said, it's not a great coping strategy. It just happens to, you know, if people are feeling depressed and they drink a little bit, well, you know, we get some of that, you know, serotonin and you get some of that dopamine and we get some mm -hmm. of those happy chemicals going on in our brain. It makes us feel better. Yeah. So I think it is something that we want to be, um, you know, really mindful of and really, um, um, not like paranoid about, but just be thoughtful about because there is that tipping point with alcohol. And that's what makes alcohol so dangerous for a lot of people is that it, it, you know, people can drink in kind of a normal way where it doesn't seem problematic until there's like a little bit of a shift in our brain and it becomes habitual. And then our brains are telling us like, we can't, we can't go a day without it. And that's, where the more kind of dangerous side of alcohol starts to kick in. So we just want to be thoughtful of that, mindful of that. And I mean, what are you, what, what are you guys seeing? You're probably experiencing something like that, or you see that with your friends and people that you're mm -hmm. talking to. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think for me, one of the things I do, because it could become a problem, you know, every day it's like the same thing. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything really, or it's just, we're used to being very social and all of a sudden we're not. Right. Um, so it's very easy to like, oh, well, as a treat, I'll have a glass of wine. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're having lots of glasses of wine. <laughs> so all wine all the time. Us, right. For us, <laughs> it's more so a, um, at least for me personally, I try not to do it on the weekdays. Okay. You know, I try maybe yeah. like Friday, Saturday, or maybe only one of the days on the weekends is my treat because mm -hmm. a, there's a number of reasons, right? Well, sometimes one glass of wine turns into three glasses of wine. Then on a Wednesday morning for your 5 a.m. meeting, you're not feeling so great. That's never a good <laughs> right. thing. But yeah, I, th I think we have to find things that work for us. But unfortunately, like you said, it is, you're right. It was exciting at first. I mean, we were all doing virtual Zoom happy oh, yeah. hours. Yeah. And then we got Zoom fatigued because it was like, all right, I can't do any more virtual happy hours. I mean, this is just very unhealthy. But now it is that, holy hell, how long is this going to continue? Mm -hmm. And right. this, now I'm not sure if I really like this. So how do I make myself feel better? So, I mean, at least for me, you create healthy boundaries. Tosh, I think sometimes you? too, when it comes to habitual alcohol use, in a situation like this, it's a form of self-soothing. Some people do it with food, right? Um, some people, they do do it with alcohol. So I'm wondering if there are alternative ways to get that feeling besides alcohol. Like, is there something, are there, are there other ways to achieve 
that serotonin. And I, I mean, I know you can get it through exercise, but I'm wondering what else there would be that would be sort of self soothing like that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of other things that we could do mm -hmm. to kind of produce those same feelings in our, in our brain chemistry. The reason so many people drink is because it's so efficient. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can, I can be in a really bad state of mind. And within five minutes, my brain is like on fire with mm -hmm. really good chemicals. And so it's really yeah. efficient and it's really effective in that way. And I think, um, that's that's the appeal for people whether they kind of are conscious of that or not it's like that's right. the that's the it kind of it, it's really effective mm -hmm. um but i really like what you know i i actually did a podcast um and i'll maybe i'll just i'll share it with you guys um yeah. i i talked about um i think the title of it was four um like four secrets that high performing people know how to have a good relationship with alcohol and I'll just, I'll just like briefly run through the four. We, we spent, I think it was like 50 minute podcast. We talked about the, the details about these four things, but it was the first one was um, really just, uh, let's see how I can say this, um, really being honest with yourself about quantity. Okay. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they're drinking, I'll ask, you know, I'll ask somebody like, oh, you know, you drank last night. Well, how much did you drink? And, and, it's just human nature. We minimize the heck out of that question. Like when I, when I was first becoming a therapist, I worked at a residential rehab and the, the kind of running joke in rehab is that whatever our clients say was their drinking history, it was always three X. So, <laughs> so if somebody said, you know, oh, I drank a six pack of beer every night and, you know, my wife gave me a hard time and I don't know what's her problem. You know, it's only, it's only six beers. It was 18 beers. It's oh, always three X. Okay. <laughs> So the first thing, the first thing we want to do is we want to really just be honest with ourselves about like, what, you know, what is, what, what are the numbers? What are the, cause that really matters. The quantity actually matters a lot. It's actually one of the distinguishing factors that we can use to um, determine the level of severity of somebody's drinking problem. So we want to just be honest about that for ourselves. And the second thing was uh, one of you said it was really just having boundaries. Okay. So we want to come up with our own set of rules for ourselves about what works for us, you know, whether that's, you know, I'm not going to drink before five, I'm not going to drink on the weekdays, I'm not going to drink hard alcohol. It doesn't really matter so much what the rules are, but creating those boundaries are important because if we have a hard time sticking with the boundaries, that is an indicator of something else. So it's almost like we can kind of create some boundaries around it and, and if we don't have a hard time sticking with the boundaries, then great. And then we, we're in control of it and it's working for us. But what happens for a lot of people is they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, um, I'm going to have this uh, boundary around alcohol. And then they keep breaking it. And then it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. It's hard for you to stick with that. Maybe there's something else kind of going on for you. Mm -hmm. That was the second one. The third one was really just having, it, it comes down to people in our lives. It's kind of an accountability process too. So we want to have people in our lives and, and, and in order to have a successful relationship with alcohol, we want to have people in our lives that can, that, that we can be honest with that kind of know us and we know them and we can kind of be um, sharing what that experience is like for us. Cause what happens for a lot of people, they're drinking and they're drinking in isolation and, um, you know, maybe this, uh, you know, this, this, this person is drinking wine and then uh, she drinks two glasses of wine and then her husband goes to bed and then she drinks another bottle of wine, but the husband might not know that. And so um, in order to have a successful relationship with alcohol, we, we need that one or several safe people in our life that can uh, kind of be on that journey with us, that can be in the know. And then the last thing real quick is when one of you guys said the other thing um, is just the emotional piece because drinking uh, at its core is always about changing our emotional state. It's like um, alcohol theory 101 um, is that we don't like the way we feel. And so we drink to change our feeling state or we eat food or we any kind of substance really. Um, and so it, it, it can move us from one emotional state to another emotional state. And that's why everybody drinks. And that's not a bad thing until we are really disconnected and detached from whatever those emotions are that we are using alcohol to kind of sedate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the four that we talked about in this podcast. Is that, does, does some of that stuff, like, does that resonate with you guys? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Cause you do have to do exactly that. I mean, I think it, it is, you know, if you're not honest with yourself, I mean, we can all joke ourselves into thinking, oh, I really don't drink that much. And then next thing you know, eh, you know what I, I, I really do, you mm-hmm. know, that right. glass of wine, right. like when I pour myself a glass of wine, I tend to pour like an inch, you know, if you go to a restaurant or sometimes to friends' houses, they pour a glass of wine and it's like half the bottle in glass <laughs> and you think, oh, I'm only drinking one glass of wine, but it's like half a bottle. <laughs> so you really need to be honest with yourself and look at it's what like those memes. Really, just a giant glass you're getting into. But so yeah, I th- what, what happens or what do we say or what's, what works when somebody's already to that point where it's a problem, right? They've already gotten past that, you know, they're, they're hiding it. They're the only person that's aware that they have an issue really is themselves. They Mm -hmm. are creating boundaries. They can't stick with them. They know it's problematic. They're continuing to do so. I mean, I'm assuming at this point it's become habitual, right? Um, Your brain Mm -hmm. is craving that. um, And it's become an addiction of sorts, even though it's not necessarily wreaking havoc on any other areas of your life. What, what then? Well, um, you know, then it kind of depends. There's like two ways to kind of maybe approach that. If the person um, that we're kind of referencing in in that kind of story, if they themselves recognize that they're struggling and they want to not struggle or get help, oh my gosh, there's so many resources. That's like, you know, um, if anybody is listening to that, I mean, just reach out to me and I can point you in such great directions to find solutions for that. Um, That unfortunately isn't how it goes. You know, if we, you know, we think about, um, you know, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the the program in AA Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, the step one that, you know, in that 12 step program really is about um, not being in denial that you have a problem. Mm -hmm. So what happens for so many people, and this is why alcohol or alcoholism becomes so problematic for families is because the person that has a drinking problem is typically in denial that they have a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it's not as likely that that person kind of raises their hand and they say, you know what, I'm struggling with this and I need help. Usually the person that does that is a lot um, earlier in the process and they're kind of recognizing, well, maybe this is not really great for me and maybe I need to kind of like figure some stuff out. But then there's that like tipping point where it, where it's that's harder to do. And usually the way that we help that person, this is like maybe for another conversation because there's so much to say here, but usually how we help that person is through kind of an intervention through the family. Okay. So the family okay. and the loved ones hold a lot, a lot of leverage over that person and they have to have some really hard conversations with that person that basically mm-hmm. say, you know, you know, we care about you and we love you and we're really for you, but you have to figure this out and we can't kind of keep going on this way. But that's, you know, right. that's kind of far down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do like the tips that you gave. I mean, doing, yeah. you know, being honest with yourself, creating the boundaries, having honest connections, I think is powerful too. You know, I think having, that's key. Yeah. I really do. Especially yeah. for those who are living by themselves, right. Yeah. Or don't have anyone else there to hold them accountable. Um, it's really, you can do whatever the hell you want. Nobody's going to know <laughs> if you're living by yourself. Yeah. yeah that's um, tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you know then? Right. Like, if Tosh, if you're alone and you're drinking every day, how would I know? Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it, that's, yeah. that can be a bit challenging. And that's a, that's a tricky situation to be in. Cause I can only imagine people who feel isolated and alone, mm-hmm. you know, it, or people who let's say you suffer from depression or something before yeah. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden you have the pandemic, you're still depressed and you're more isolated now than ever before. Right. right that's right. tough. That is that's a right. tough situation to be in because I think first like if you don't have someone to be honest with or someone who can call you out and say, "Hey sweetie, I really think you've been drinking way more than normal. I'm a little bit concerned." Mm-hmm. How do we know, you know, mm-hmm. if that person isn't with others? That's tough. That's well, especially tough because situation. alcohol is a depressant as well. So Right. Yeah. And I I, I think too you know, when this all started, people are drinking out of many reasons, you know, hide their feelings or soothe their feelings or whatever, but then also out of boredom a little bit too. But the problem with alcohol is that 
your brain doesn't really care if you're bored or you're not, if you're giving it something, I mean, it's going to become habitual, whether whatever your reason was <laughs> for starting. So it might've been innocent enough because you were just bored and now, now you've got yourself an addiction. Yeah. And I think one yeah. thing too, if it becomes, mm -hmm. and I don't know, Quentin, what you think about this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is a positive or not, uh -huh. but if it, if it's about a ritual, you know, a lot of times what happens is when you drink, it's like that soothing cocktail at the end of the night, the soothing glass mm -hmm. of wine, mm -hmm. replace it with something else. Like for me, it was like at a sparkling water with like mint or lemons in it. Yeah. You totally. just find something else that becomes a ritual or at night, instead of a glass of wine, I'll have a cup of hot tea. Mm -hmm. And you're just, mm -hmm. it's just something that's still soothing. It may mm -hmm. not have the exact effects that alcohol would have because it's not numbing mm -hmm. a feeling, but mm -hmm. it's maybe something to look forward to. Do you mm -hmm. recommend that Quentin or no? Oh, for sure. For sure. Cause I think for, for so many people, alcohol is this kind of like treat at the end of the day that is, is almost like a, a stimulus kind of reward. It's kind of this mm -hmm. thing that says like, ah, like I can breathe for a moment. Like I, I made it through this hard day and I'm going to kind of give myself permission to kind of reward myself or relax. And I think mm -hmm. that can come in so many different ways. It can come in, you know, um, you know, making yourself a really nice meal that you really appreciate. It could come in the form of walking around the block and listening to relaxing music. There's, there's a lot of ways that we can kind of reward ourselves and kind of soothe ourselves from a strenuous or stressful day. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying earlier, alcohol is just so stinking efficient that people <laughs> just grab it because yeah. it doesn't work so good. And, right. you know, and I think we got to like, just be careful not to fall into that trap about the convenience of it. It's like, well, yeah, I don't really want to walk around the block. It's like, I know, but that's probably better for us. You know, yeah. let's just go for the walk. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And then when we do it, we feel, we feel really great. And then I was going to say something about the boredom thing too, because I totally, I think for so many people, it is kind of a, you know, what else is there to do? <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about boredom is that um, boredom is a derivative of loneliness. Okay. And so what I, so what I mean by that is that if you find yourself ever saying that you're bored, what you'll always find is that you're disconnected emotionally from people. Hmm. Okay. And that in the converse is true too, that if you're connected to people, you will never say that you're bored. Yeah. So yeah. boredom is kind of a word that we use that kind of describes this sense of disconnection from people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important as it relates to alcohol, because I think so much of people's drinking is about feeling disconnected from people. Oh. And at the, at the, at, at kind of the roots of it for a lot of people, it's about soothing kind of disconnection and soothing loneliness. And, and that's the thing that kind of drives a lot of that behavior. So I think yeah. that's just something to kind of like be mindful of. Right. Yeah. So, but in a, yeah, you know, in, a, in, during the pandemic, that's tough because here we're not supposed to socialize. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we are supposed we're social creatures. We're always supposed oh my to socialize. Gosh. I know. That's why this thing's right. been so hard. Yeah. This is yeah. horrible. And we talk about it all the time. This should have never been called social distancing. It should have been called <laughs> physical distancing because exactly. the social distancing is the worst thing you can do, especially for people who suffer from depression or alcoholism or suicidal thoughts, whatever. This is horrible. Yeah. But so for individuals who are alone or anyone and they're feeling bored, but they're at high risk or they don't feel comfortable leaving their house other than zoom, you know, what can they do to connect with people? Do you recommend phone calls or, I mean, this is tough, right? Especially if you crave or you need physical kind of contact in a sense, like, you know, sitting know. across the table from someone that isn't maybe that is a tough one you see every day because yeah, I know, um, if you do live alone and you don't have anybody coming over at all and you want to keep, you know, your distance from people then, but you do crave that physical contact, then what? That's tough. It is really wow. tough. And That's I mean, amazing. I, my, my, I mean, I feel sometimes so fortunate that I have my family to connect with and I know so many wow. people don't have that. And, you know, my heart really breaks for those people. Um, you know, all I, all I would want to say to, to somebody in that situation is that I know it's, it's such an inconvenience and it's, it really just sucks so bad, but we just have to work really hard mm. at things that we might've just 
you know, taken for granted, or it might've been easy before, you know, it's like, we just have to kind of go that extra mile to try to connect with people, even if it's over the phone or zoom or sending text messages or, you know, video chats, or just trying to use technology and, 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 and hopefully people really just seeing the, like the real need for that. Cause it's so, cause we are such social animals and we're kind of, it's kind of scary what like some of the statistics on depression and suicidality and stuff that we're starting to see because we need people so badly and we need to connect with people and we need to feel like we have that connection and when we don't have it. We don't really do well as humans. So yeah. Yeah. it's kind of like, you know, that, I mean, maybe this is a bad analogy, but it's like, sometimes, you know, if, if you, you know, we, we don't like, we wake up and we go work out or something. And it's like, you know, that feeling is like the last thing in the world I want to do is go to the gym right now. Mm-hmm. And we just have to like, force ourselves to put our shoes on and just walk out the door. And it's kind of like that with connecting with people. Sometimes it's the last thing. And especially if we're depressed, because if we're depressed, you know, there's this thing about depression. It's like the catch 22 of depression is that the thing that we need to do the most is the hardest thing to do. And sometimes that's just picking up the phone or it's telling somebody that we're depressed or, you know, it's, you know, going for that walk or something. And sometimes it's really hard, but we just got to really just try to push into that as much as we can, because it's so important. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think especially for us, you know, if we're healthy and we're not at risk, but let's think about parents or elderly people or anybody at risk, regardless of how old you are, if anything, just remember to pick up the phone and call them and reach out to them and just kind of make, you know, have a meaningful conversation at the very least to help them feel mm-hmm. a little connected. Cause we often forget that, right? So it's true. like, imagine if, if you're feeling alone before, if you're depressed before, just reach out to those people that, you know, we're in that situation and make them feel a little better if you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a great reminder. Hey everyone. Did you ever wish you had a friend who was constantly supporting your dreams to make more money, pursue your passions or live a more relaxed lifestyle? Well, here we are. Success, financial freedom, balance, whatever you want to create in your life, you can have it. And we're sharing the tools to help you get there. That's right. Because sometimes all it takes to achieve your goals is a tribe of people cheering you on. And we're here to do just that for you. Yes, we are. When you join our tribe every week, you'll receive powerful tools to help you achieve financial freedom, create a better work-life balance and pursue your dreams. For only $5 and 55 cents a month, You'll receive access to affirmations, mantras, guided meditations, EFT tapping sessions, articles, and tip sheets that all specifically focus on money and abundance, work-life balance, and passion and success. That's a whole lot of stuff. It is. If you visit inthelifeofzen.com to subscribe and join our tribe today. And I think, Quentin, one thing we don't talk about a lot is for people who deal with, let's say, things like social phobias or a fear of flying or addiction to technology and all of it like this is pre-pandemic right and you worked on things like for myself specifically I have a horrible fear of flying it's a control thing I know it I've had you know and I travel a lot for work at least I did at one point Um, I could be on an airplane you know a dozen times a month and for many many years in order for me to get on an airplane I had to be highly medicated And it worked for a while, but I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm very groggy. If I show up at a client meeting, I don't want to be this groggy person. So then I did years of holistic medicine and alternative treatment approaches to get over my fear of flying. Finally conquered it. I haven't been on a plane in, well, since February. The longer this lasts, my fear is how much harder is it going to be for me to get back on an airplane do we revert back, right? So think about someone who had a social phobia and then maybe they're afraid to be in, around people or in big crowds and they worked years and years and years in therapy to overcome that. And now are we gonna revert back? You know, what can we do to avoid taking 15 steps back and make having this be harder when the world hopefully goes back to normal? Like, what do you say to someone like that? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, do you, how does it, how does it feel to you to think about flying? Like right now, if you had to go flying, what, oh, you, what is your kind of, okay. Yeah. I just want to go okay. somewhere, but okay. my fear is I'm the kind of person who 24 uh-huh. hours before I have to get on a plane, I get that. Oh yeah. my gosh, my plane's going to go down. This is every single trip I sure. take. 
And so yeah. I need to get to a point. And you know, some people say, if you ever have that feeling, just don't get on the airplane. It's like, then I would never go. <laughs> right. It's like, totally. It's like Final destination. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have no issues. I'm one of these people and Tasha and I talk about this all, or all the time. We're mm-hmm. okay. Conquering or kind of approaching our fear fears to overcome them. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what I'm going to be when I get on that plane. I'm going to, I better mm-hmm. have my Xanax next to me ready to go because I don't know if I'm going to have a panic attack. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll remember all of my soothing healing techniques that I learned and be able to cope, mm-hmm. but I may mm-hmm. not be able to. And now I feel mm-hmm. like I may need to start that healing process all over again. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's bizarre. Well, I think the good news is that it's not a start over. Okay. And the, and, and so we know kind of through neuroscience that the way our brain works is that it's very uh, pliable in the sense that when we, we find healing to things, our brain actually like physically it changes. And that is really good news because it doesn't just change back. It doesn't good. just, it, and if yeah. we got traumatized again, it could change back, but when we heal those parts of ourselves and those parts of our minds, our brain physically changes and it doesn't just revert back. So that's the good news. Like we don't, if we take a break from something, it's not like we totally start over. Okay. Okay. But I would also say that, um, you know, it's, I think about it like a continuum, you know, like a one to 10 scale, you know, if you got to a place where, um, you know, 10 is really high anxiety about flying and one is like, you don't even care at all. If, if you got to a place where you were kind of like, let's say you got to a place where you were like a five. Okay. And then you took a break from flying for some time. Uh, that five, I don't know, it might kind of like go to 5.5, maybe, 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 you know, something like that, but it's definitely not going to go to a 10 if you were at a 10 at some point in the future or in the past. Okay. Okay. So that's really great to know that we, you know, we, we can kind of pick up in so many things we can pick up where we, where we left off and it doesn't, it's not going to feel like we're starting over, but that being said, what I think is so important for all of us to do during this pandemic is, is in, as much as we can to not put our lives on hold. And I see, and you guys probably see this too. I see people um, kind of just hitting this giant pause button in their right. lives. And, and mm-hmm. they're, and they're kind of like of the mind of like, well, I'll get back to life when this is over or when there's, you know, a viable vaccine or just some, some they're waiting for some finish line to kind right. of start living again. And I think it's really important for um, all of us to not do that. So I'll give you an example. So like I do a lot of, I do a lot of speaking events and I get super anxious when I speak and I, I'm kind of like you and I fly, um, you know, I, I get really anxious before it. I start thinking about it. I'm always thinking, oh my gosh, I wish I, the day of I'm thinking, why did I sign up for this thing? This is the worst <laughs> idea ever. And so um if I went and did a speaking event right now, I would be probably a slightly more anxious than I was the last time I did a speaking event. But something that I've done to help me during this time is I've done a bunch of podcasting. I've done a bunch of Facebook lives. I've done Mm -hmm. a bunch of Instagram lives with people. And that's kind of like, it it evokes the same kind of fear response as um, the public speaking. Now there's not necessarily that perfect translation to flying because you might not be able to find that kind of replication of, of something like that. But it's just this idea that I think it's so important that we don't put our lives on hold and we, f- we figure out ways to kind of keep moving forward and keep pushing in and leaning into mm-hmm. the things mm-hmm. that were really important to us pre COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, I posted yeah. this thing on my Instagram. I, I said something like, you know, you had a mission and I'm just speaking to everybody. You had a life purpose and a life's mission pre COVID. And that still exists. Right. Absolutely. S- you know, so whatever that is for, 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 for all of us, you know, it's important that we just keep leaning into that instead of maybe um, in this kind of like holding pattern, waiting for the world to change before we land the plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that you're continuously, even though you're not giving public speaking, that you're, you're doing as much of it as you can. I, 
I love that idea. That's actually how I got myself from absolutely hating public speaking to, I was like baby steps like that, right? Doing little things like that. And now I have no problem with it whatsoever, but I'm thinking Jen to your issue with the fear of flying, she's not gonna be able to replicate that right now. But what you could do is you said earlier that the main reason that you have a problem with it is it's loss of control. Mm -hmm. So what if you started finding ways to challenge yourself where you have to give up control? Like would that also work as practice? Right. Oh, for sure. And you know me, biggest yeah. control freak you've ever met in your life. So <laughs> right. I have a lot right. of work to do around that. I have a lot of work to do around that, honey. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, it is true, you know, and you know, it, it is what it is. But yeah, you're right. It's learning to just be okay. And that's what ultimately got me better. It, you know, I got to a point where, I mean, I tried everything from, you know, acupuncture, ear seeds, where if I had any anxiety, I would just press on certain act like seeds. I love ear acupuncture seeds. would put on my ears. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point where I was like, well, heck, if the plane goes down, I'll just be like, I'm just chill. Down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because right. what are you going to do at that point? Right. It's like worrying about a nuclear war. Oh, well, if there's a nuclear war, where, what am I? There's nothing I can do. Well, about frankly, yeah. you don't want to be on drugs if the plane were to go down anyway. You're certainly not going <laughs> to survive if you're all Xanaxed out. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's comes to a point where you're right. It's just a matter of like, oh, well, it is, you know, it, and you're right. What Quentin, what you said is I might be a little more anxious than the last time I got on, but at some point too, then I just have to think of where am I going? You know, where I'm going to this cool place or I'm going to whatever. I'm going to see someone I like, and then that will help kind of not focus on the negative and focus on the positive. But to this point, what if someone has an issue with being addicted to technology? They live with their phone in their hand pre-COVID, right? We all know those people who have to have the phone next to them when they're eating dinner or they're constantly on the computer. And now all of a sudden, I mean, think of kids, right? Everything. I was just thinking that teenagers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You before, I, we don't have children. I have nieces and nephews, but you know, they had an hour a day where they could be on their iPads or 30 minutes to be on YouTube. And now all of a sudden, all they're doing. I just spent a week with my niece and nephew watching them where their folks went out of town. And if I'd have let them, that's all they'd have been doing the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, they're, yeah, they're teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do we do there? I mean, you know, and I don't know if there's a such thing as having a diagnosis for being addicted to technology, mm -hmm. but for individuals who had an issue before, and now all of a sudden, all the only way, not the only way, but for a while, really, the only way we were encouraged to socialize was through technology. Yeah. And then for children, especially adolescents, what, what is this doing to us? How do we, how do we create healthy, those healthy boundaries with technology when now we're being immersed by it? Well, you know, the thing that comes to my mind, I just think like, I think as, as, um, as parents, you know, our job is to help our kids with things that they may not fully understand themselves because they just developmentally, they're just too young to understand the implications of that. So, as parents, our jobs are to, you know, have those limits, have those boundaries, understand that um, a bunch of screen time is not good for our kids. It does a, does a bunch of wacky stuff to their brains. That being said, what I've heard from a lot of parents is that it's in some strange twist of events, it's actually if, if a 16 year old is on zoom all day long, it's actually making them want to spend less time on social media when they're off zoom, because it's kind of like this horrific and horrible event that they have to sit through for six or eight hours a day. And then when they're done with it, they're like, I don't even want to, I don't want to be on, I don't want to be on more technology. So they're kind of like, I've had a lot of parents tell me that like they, it used to be this real battle between like, you know, oh, like playing video games and on social media. And it's like, well, now you have to sit in front of your laptop for eight hours a day. And then when that's over, there's like a lot less of a desire to just continue sitting. And so I think kids are, you know, they're, you know, getting outside a little bit more. They're, they're, they're kind of doing things that their parents have always wanted to do, but it's kind of like had this almost like a positive backfire kind of thing because they're on the screen so much that they're not wanting a whole bunch more of it. 
Does that does that kind of make sense? Sure, yeah. yeah. It makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly how I feel, right? I well, no kidding. After days. I get done with work, I'm like, oh. No more <laughs> Zoom conference right. calls. So the last thing I want to do is check social media or, you know, no. whatever. It's like, oh, please, just no more blue lights. Like, let's, <laughs> well, that's right. good. That's good if yeah. that's the case, you know? Yeah. And let's hope. Yeah, so that's happening for people. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I feel like we need to kind of remind adults of that as well. Is, you know, for the people who aren't maybe on, on the computer eight hours a day, but I like my dad, for example, he will not put his phone down, you know? <laughs> so at times it's just those simple reminders of, okay, let's find a healthier, something to replace <laughs> it. So you're not, you know, then you have a migraine. It's like, just come on, let's, let's do healthy habits here. You know, <laughs> your phone isn't the only way you can connect, have a phone call, have a good conversation over the phone. We don't need to FaceTime all the time, you know, just pick up the yeah. phone. Right, right. So let's take this a little bit in a kind of a different way. How do people, the single people that we know, how do they create or maintain a healthy dating life in a time like this? Or even for married people, right? If you're in a marriage Mm. and you're constantly with your spouse, you know, where before you went away on business trips or you were busy with your social calendar, you were going to the gym and working out and you had your separation now you find yourself constantly together. How do you create healthy relationships in cases like that? You know, I don't, d- d- out, of, out of fairness, I don't work with a ton of single people. Most of the people that I work with are in marriages. So I could speak to that a lot better than I could the single people. I would love to hear what your guys' thoughts are. Um, I'm single, single, I can tell you. <laughs> okay, yeah. I have a couple single friends and... Um, I don't know. It's like my one friend, it seemed like he was on Tinder the whole time. I'm like, you still go out with people? He's like, oh yeah. I'm like, okay, I guess everyone's just doing their own thing. Right. So, um, but in, in, as far as like the, the marriage, the, you know, I work with a lot of marriages and people in, in marriages and I've seen it really, it's become really like, there's been two camps that have kind of unfolded. There's one camp where, um, you know, people are really having a hard time. There's, you know, the, 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 the close quarters effect of COVID is kind of illuminating a lot of the cracks in their relationship that they mm-hmm. have been able to kind of avoid. And then there's this whole other group of people that it's totally brought them together. And that's been really cool to see. It's been really interesting to see. It's like, this kind of traumatic bonding experience between two people that, um, you know, they have appreciated each other and they have realized like the sense of like, oh my gosh, you know, like I, this kind of, I was taking you for granted. I'm so glad that we have each other. So, and that's even surprised me in my own practice. I'm like, wow, like, you know, this couple that I've been working with for like a year you know, COVID happens and they're like, we're doing better now than we've ever done. I'm like, I am so thrilled. you know so it's brought them together Mm -hmm. and then so for the but for the first group that are that are that are that are at home and they're they're struggling you know there's a couple things that come to mind i think the first thing we have to do is we have to have really good boundaries at home and i was talking to a friend of mine today at jujitsu and he i said what are you going to do after this he said well i got to go home but actually what that means is I have to go to work. And I said, yeah, that's really weird, you know, because there used to be this nice separation between home and work. Yeah. And now it's like really blurry. And like, so he's going to go to his sanctuary of his home, but really go to work. And that feels really confusing. So I think we have to have as much as we can, we have to develop and kind of artificially create our own boundaries between work and home. And if that means, you know, creating some like actual physical partitions in our house um, where we're going to say, hey, this is like a workspace and it's very different from the home space, right. or we're going to have really clear uh, time boundaries about when we're going to end our day and it's going to be really clear. But having that, having those limits and boundaries around what separates home and work is so important. I can't mm-hmm. stress that enough because they've done all this research like, um, they they've done all this research that says like okay so if i'm if i'm i'm at work right now i'm in my office talking to you guys and right now i'm in work brain and in order for me to get into a different state of mind that is that it would be like husband brain or dad brain that home brain it takes mm-hmm. it's about a 30 minute transition okay? okay so our minds take about 30 minutes 
because if, if we, if you hooked me up to an MRI, you would see like all this crazy stuff happening as I transition from my work life to my home life. Interesting. And, and so that's why, uh, so like, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I appreciate a commute home because it's during that time that I get to kind of like organize my thoughts and, you know, and, and prepare myself to enter into that space of home and, and be that person that I'm, I'm kind of needing to be. So it takes about 30 minutes. So what's happening for a lot of people is that they're kind of in, they're at home all day and they're just trying to go back and forth between this work brain and home brain. And their, their minds are just really confused. And it's like, yeah. they never can really do either one really well. And it's causing a lot of conflict and disconnection. And so it, it really speaks to that need for us to have those healthy boundaries between those two areas or those two kind of spheres of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you say that because, so my home office is upstairs and it's, it's a loft. It's the, it's the only reason I use that space is mm-hmm. to house all my books and to work. So at the end of the day, when I shut down my computer, I walk downstairs, I don't go up there again. Right. And it's, and it's a yeah. good transition. However, I recently right. injured myself. So I'm on crutches. I can't get up the spiral staircase. So I've moved my home office down into my dining room. And you know what? It's like 10 o'clock at night and I'm still working away on projects. And it's, it's, it seems because I, I don't have that, that disconnect right at the moment. And I don't, I can't, I seem to always be working. So yeah, I can totally see what you're saying there. Absolutely. That's a great example. That's a great example. I, I, when I was working from home, like I would, I would get done talking to a client. I would come out of a bedroom and I would go to like, get a glass of water or something. And my, 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 my seven-year-old would be like, daddy. <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta go because I have another call. Right. You know, and he was like crying and I was crying. (laughs) And it was, it's, you know, so I'm like, I need to go to my office. Now I know everybody doesn't have that luxury. I'm very fortunate to have that, but you know, we, you know, I, I just feel like there's a real importance and a real need of creating that separation as much as we can mm-hmm. if we're going to try to work at home. And right. it's why what it's it's also along the lines of why it's so hard for people to be successful uh, couples when they work together, like when they wow. co-own a business. The success mm-hmm. rates of people that co-own a business together and the divorce rates, it's really tragic. I mean, it's like, it is very difficult. And it's for the reasons that we're talking about. It's hard for people to transition those two states of mind really well. And they're always kind of going back and forth and they don't really ever know, like, am I in work mode right now? Or (laughs) am I supposed to be your empathetic listener right now? I don't know which one it is. And and it makes it very challenging for people. Oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In fact, I had uh, a couple years ago, good friends of mine that, um, yeah, she had said that a few times to me because at the time they were working together and they no longer do. And as soon as they stopped working together, they were great. <laughs> they right. went on to get married and have three kids and they're all grand. But when they were working together, right. it was a challenge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, another thing that I think is important too, is I think that there's like a whole like reshuffling of the deck with like different roles and responsibilities for people at home. And I think that's important too. That's causing, I think the more we can have conversations around that, because you might have like a two income household and, um, now, you know, one of the parents is homeschooling or the, doing the school stuff. And yeah. then, it's like, well, who's doing what? And well, that was the old setup, but the old setup doesn't really exist anymore. So there is kind of a, an important need for us to kind of renegotiate the roles and responsibilities that we have kind of around our house. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I think if we can kind of get that out of the way really quick, we can kind of put that in its proper camp and, and people can move on. And the last thing too, is I just think, I think people, it's important that we are kind of in that spirit with our part, with our, with our partners, um, that we are for each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we are teammates, mm-hmm. we are allies, we are on the same page. And at times we might not agree with each other, but we can disagree with each other and still embody that spirit that we are for each other. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. communicating that can be really powerful. Yeah. Like yeah. I am for you. I am for you. I am with you. We are in this together sometimes we just forget that. And when tensions rise and stress is high, we can go to that place in our heads where we're like, oh, they don't care about me and they're against me. And, and 
And so we just want to really try to over communicate that we are for each other right now because mm. it's really stressful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah, important. It's a, a great point. Yeah. And Tasha, for you, I mean, you're single and I don't want to call you out, but you said you have some <laughs> tips too. So what have you done to kind of maintain a healthy dating relationship or, you know, dating habits during these bizarre times? Well, it has changed as the circumstances have changed, right? So for instance, there was a time when there was absolutely, I mean, everything was completely shut down. So how are you going to date and something like that? Right. I mean, it's just, and you know, for a while there, the media was like, everybody you come in contact will kill you. And (laughs) so you're not, you're not exactly in some sort of space where you want to meet strangers at that point, but that has, um, you know, now that masks are mandated and the majority of the people are wearing them and, you know, things are starting to open back up. Now we're looking at, it's, it's a completely different space than it was back then. Right. So, um, it has been strange though, because Quentin, you were talking about your friend who's on Tinder. Well, I'm not on Tinder, but I am on other dating apps and, um, you meet someone and the, the first time, like, say you go on a date with them, it's, I mean, you're six feet apart from one another. There's no, there's no content. It's just all very yeah, strange. It's, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. And then you don't know, like, it was funny because Jen, you and I've had this conversation. I went on quite a few dates with one guy and we never even so much as kissed. And I said to myself, I don't know if I don't want to kiss him because I'm afraid he has the vid or, <laughs> or if I'm just not attracted to him. I can't tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you That's just. really funny. It's, <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's a strange place. Um, it's a strange place to be in. I think, I think, but I think like basically what people are doing from what I've seen is just your, it's actually kind of nice in the sense that you're spending more time getting to know people before you ever even go out on a date with them, which I kind of, I kind of like that. So you're getting, you're getting to know people through phone calls and text messages Mm. and emails or, or whatever, more of the written word and, you know, just phone calls zoom what have you before you actually sort of force yourself onto a date and get yourself in you know where it's a little bit yeah so i feel like you almost know somebody a little bit better before you go on that Mm. first date with them now in a way that maybe you didn't before but i think though everybody's kind of like you said doing their own thing everybody's sort of just flying at this from different angles so right yeah but that's kind of like under there's like a whole underground thing happening there. Yeah. <laughs> nobody talks about, you know, yeah, exactly. keep it amongst yourselves. Yeah. We don't need to know. Yeah, some people just don't care. So there you go, you know. So Quentin, we do have a question for you that we ask all of the folks that come on this podcast. It's something that Tasha and I like to end with. Do you have either a mantra, an affirmation, or some kind of a daily ritual, especially in light of, COVID that you do or you focus on to kind of keep you in a good space? For me, it's all about routine and structure. And I've just learned that about myself and everything that I've read has told me that humans operate at their optimal when we have a lot of structure in our lives. And so what I do to kind of keep me really kind of grounded and to kind of keep me serene and to keep me feeling like the world's not blowing up is um, <clears throat> I have kind of a morning routine and I have an evening routine and they're pretty simple. It's not going to be like profound, but the way I, the way I kind of do it is I, 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 I wake up and um I decide what three things I need to do for my business today. I decide how am I, how am I going to play today? And then I decide how am I going to grow today? So it's like three, one, one. And so I do that every single day without fail. That is kind of like, that's how I structure my life. And at the end of the day, I kind of review that and I just say, okay, how, like, how did that go for me? Did I feel accomplished in that area or what do I need to do the next day? Mm-hmm. But when I do that, like, and I, and I feel like it's even more, I was doing that pre COVID and I feel like it's become even more important during COVID because everything that we used to take for granted is with structure is gone. And so the need to kind of structure my life in that very kind of contained way is really important. So I I discover, you know, what are the three really important things I need to do for work? 
how am I going to really have fun today? Because that's really important. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's important for my soul as a, as a human. Um, and, you know, how am I going to really develop myself today? What am I going to learn? What am I going to grow? You know, how am I going to grow? And if right now, a lot of that has to do with my writing. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of the book thing. And, um, and so, and then at the end of the day, I just review it and I say, how did I do today? And so that little structure, it's a little routine. It's not really profound, but the thing that maybe is important to hear in that is that I'm making space and time every single day in my life to have fun, regardless of how busy I am. It doesn't, I don't like, I will prioritize that over all other things. And I'm making space in my life, no matter what, to feel like I'm continuing to grow and to move forward, because that's really important psychologically. It's really important that we feel like we are making movement towards something that we are after instead of just feeling like we're stuck. Because I think when we, as humans, when we feel like we're stuck or we're stifled, Mm -hmm. that's when our spirits start to uh, die, if you will. Right. Absolutely. And that's so powerful. And those could be mantras or affirmations in and of itself, right? How am I going to play today? How am I going to grow today? I love the emphasis on play too. Brene Brown uh talks about that all the time. And I, yeah, yeah. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just read. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. Yeah. Sorry. I just read something on Charlie Chaplin and he said he was giving tips on the seven best doctors. And it was just some things like one of them was have fun every day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was like right. one of the seven best types of, of medicines that you can take. So, mm-hmm. and that's, that's so key. Have fun, especially because it's something we forget as the older we get, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, 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 for sure, totally. Cause we, we get busy with our lives and there's kids and there's work and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think it's especially right now, because I think, you know, with all the uncertainty, you know, people are just feeling a lot and we got to create space to have fun. We got to, we have to carve out that time. Nothing is more important. It doesn't matter, you know, how much we think we have to do. Nothing is more important than us feeling good about our day and feeling like we had a really great day. So it kind of gives us that momentum to go into the next day and even be more productive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people just, you know, I, I work with a lot of guys. I was going to say, I work with a lot of guys. And I, I think just as a, as a gender difference, guys are much worse at that than, than, than females this is my kind of experience. And I'm like, I'll, I'll have a client. I'm like, what do you, what do you, what did you do for fun this week? And they're like, huh? Like literally they're like, that is the weirdest <laughs> question, <laughs> you know? And then I tell them that I do something every day and they think that I'm like some hedonistic, <laughs> you <laughs> <Right>. know? <laughs> I'm like, I just want to live a really great life, you know, and mm-hmm. that's part of it, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And in fact, it actually makes me more productive. I'm more creative. I'm, oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I'm just, I'm such a, I'm such a champion for that. I'm such an encourager for people to do that because it just does so much for our emotional health and our psychological health and prioritizing ourselves in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. That's so good. It's hilarious. And it's interesting that you think women are better at that than men. I would have thought, to be honest, men would be better at that than women for some reason. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's because of the guys yeah. I know in my life. They're all so fun. Like think about our core group of friends. The guys are the ones that are like, woo, fly by the seat of their pants all the time. I don't know. So I guess it's the, the social circles we run in, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I think when I, when I think about fun too, I'm thinking about that in the kind of a self-care concept. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe guys kind of seem fun on the week. I don't know. This is like my, my image, like, you know, the, the, the fun guys on the weekend, but like, if you really kind of peel back the layers about what are they really caring for themselves? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of like, probably not, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 And that, that's Are they really loving themselves? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, and that, that's mm-hmm. where it can get a little deeper, right? Like truly, exactly. I was going to yeah. say, that's like another conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this has sure. been so great, Quentin. Thank you so much for everything you've shared with us. If individuals want to know more about you, if they want to reach out to you or follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, my website is just my name, quentinhafner.com. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram, Quentin underscore Hafner. Perfect. Perfect. So those and we are the will easy sh- places. Yeah. Awesome. We will definitely you know, put that on the show notes. 
Quentin, one last thing before we yeah. uh, uh-huh. before we round up. You had mentioned earlier that if individuals were having a problem with their alcohol intake and they mm-hmm. were looking and they had awareness of it and were looking for resources, do you mm-hmm. um, do you have some resources that we can maybe share in the podcast notes, or do you have anything like that, or would you prefer that they just reach out to you? No, um, I can. Get, I, I would. I would probably want to provide you with a few names of okay. great local therapists in Orange County that specialize in that, and I can email you guys that. And you could put that in the show notes. And the reason oh, I'm, I would want you to maybe contact a therapist first because it, it, they they can be a good um, kind of gatekeeper of where you probably need to go next. Thank you for listening to the Where Money Meets Soul podcast. We hope you're feeling inspired to take control of your finances, create balance, and live your best life. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you know anyone else who would benefit from this content, spread the love by taking a snapshot of this podcast, sharing on social media, and tagging In the Life of Zen. And stay tuned for more from In the Life of Zen. Visit us at inthelifeofzen.com and follow us on social media at In the Life of Zen.